0: Hey, welcome uh, Kingsway family and friends. Uh, before we get too far in, uh, I had a quick announcement and uh, we need your help actually. Uh, we're so grateful for our online audience. You guys have been with us through thick and thin for the last two years and uh, things are adjusting and changing all the time and we, we could actually use your help moving forward. So just wondering if you could if, take a moment uh, right after this announcement just to pause the video and there's a link down in the uh, description of this video and just ask if you can click on it. It's going to take you to a a quick survey. It's literally one question with four responses. You just click uh, the ones that apply. So the question is this, when you watch Kingsway online, what portions of the service do you actually watch? And we're kind of like on a regular basis. So um, if you watch all the time uh, and every once in a while you watch kids ministry, don't click it. It's just the ones that you, when when you watch Kingsway online, what do you regularly watch? And so the options right there are kids ministry, um, worship the uh the message or and the announcements and just click the ones that apply and then click submit that uh, that will help us a ton moving forward and uh, really appreciate it. All right, well, we're at the portion of uh, a service uh, where we're just going to dig into his word and continue on with our series. But before we do that, I'm just wondering if you could get some uh, some emblems for communion. You know, the, the, the benefit of watching online is you can just pause right now and go and grab some things. And you're like, well, I don't have grape juice. Tonight. Maybe I don't have bread. Grab, um, you know, grab cookies, grab orange juice, grab whatever it is. Uh, we've got these these cool little things here uh, tonight as well. And so we would love to um, uh, celebrate uh, communion at the end of this service uh, or give you the opportunity to do so. So if you can do that now, that'd be great. We are in part six of a series that we call Building a Biblical Worldview in 2022. And uh, we've been encouraging uh, us as a church family to really consider our worldview. Uh, it's, it's something we don't, we, 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 I guess we take it for granted and yet it affects so much of our lives. And so we've said, you know, let's be intentional about it. And as Jesus followers, let's, let's take his lead, his example. And the new Testament writers as well that said, you know, their, their, their worldview was based on what scripture says and. So we've uh, been been challenging ourselves to look at what does the whole of Scripture say on on a number of various topics. You know, we talked about humanity, and we talked about family, we talked about government, we've talked about sexuality. You can find all of those in our previous uh, uh, episodes, either on the podcast or uh, on our YouTube channel. And uh, the question was, do we think Christianly about everything? Do we think Christianly about everything? Do we have a, uh, uh, the mind of Christ? Do we have a, uh, a biblical worldview? And so today's is a little, is a, it's a little interesting. We're going to ask tonight's question is, do we think Christianly about Christian? Do we think Christianly about Christian? Not the word Christian, but what it means to be one. Do we think Christianly about what, uh, what a Christian actually is? How do you become one? What do, how do you know if somebody is one? What does it mean to be a Christian? You know, I was reminded of a, a, a message um, by Vadi Bakum, and uh, he had mentioned this, uh, this, this quote from um, The Princess Bride, one of, a, one of those old, you know, classic movies. And it's Inigo Montoya who finds, uh, or he's having a conversation with the little Sicilian guy, and he, uh, he, the, the guy always says the words, inconceivable! And uh, Inigo Montoya is like, he, his response to him is, that word, He's like, I do not think it means what you think it means. I do not think it means what you think it means. And, uh, I, I, you know, as I thought about tonight's topic, that, that phrase came to mind, that this word Christian, you know, I wonder sometimes <laughs> if we should be saying this same th- this, these same words. I don't think it means what you think it means. We use that word a lot, but I don't think it means what you think it means. Uh, our culture has a worldview about Christians and Christianity. Uh, as far back as I can remember, even watching The, the Simpsons as a kid, I, I wasn't allowed, but I you know, I find ways. And uh, they have Ned Flanders, right? Ned Flanders is like the Oakley dokly out of out-of-touch-with-reality type um, Christian. And, uh, you know, they, always sort of using those episodes to kind of dig or make fun of Christians, using Ned and his family. And uh, there's, this, there's this spectrum of, uh, of views on what a Christian is in our culture. And sometimes, you know, we're... even in cultures, they're tempted to paint, paint people with one brush. It's like, you know, well, I met a Christian once and he was a hypocrite. So, you know, pff, all Christians must be hypocrites. And they, they paint it with that brush. You know, I, I knew a Christian once. He was so judgmental. You know, that church, I heard that sermon. He's so judgmental. And we paint them with, well, Christians must be judgmental. You know, or irrelevant. You know, they're so out of touch with everything. And say so paint them with that, with that brush. Oh, you know, they're, they're out of touch with everything. And it's like, Christian... I don't think that word means what you think it means. And you know, the, the idea of painting people with a brush, our, our culture does that with everything, and yet we don't like it when it you know, hits close to home because we can't say, you know, hey, I know a woman who was a terrible driver, so obviously all women are terrible drivers, and, and now I've just offended half the crowd. You know where I could say, you know, well, I knew a Dutch guy who was so cheap, you know, that uh, means <laughs> all Dutch people must be cheap. You know, or maybe the thought, you know, I knew a, a protester who was racist, so now they're all misogynist racists. We, we paint the people with these brushes, and, and, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't. Because that, especially when it comes to the word Christian, I don't think that word means what you think it means. And, and, and to the Jesus followers, the Christians... It's interesting because it's not just cultural. There's actually um, various Christian worldviews of what Christian is. Uh, you hear it all the time when you talk to people, when you ask them if they're a Christian, like, "Oh yeah, you know I've been to church, so I'm a Christian." And I would say the same thing in response is, "Well, I've been to Tim Horton, so I must be a Timbit." And the logic doesn't, doesn't work. Or people are like, well, I was sprinkled as a baby, you know, and so I was baptized and fill in the blank. Anglican, Presbyterian, you know, whatever it was that you were baptized, united. And so say, so yeah, I'm a Christian. And I'm like, it doesn't matter what kind of water was sprayed on your head. Like if you went out and had a water fight with some pistols, you know, uh, and, and then saying, well, I'm, that maybe that counts. It, it's not what it means, you know. Or somebody says to you, well, well, are you Christian? Yeah, well, I believe in God. I believe there's a God. You know, James, the brother of Jesus in James 2.19, he says, you know, the demons believe there's a God. Satan believes there's a God. I don't think he's a Christian. Christian. I don't think that word means what you think it means. You know, some Christians, uh, even Christians, Jesus followers, people go to church all the time that they would claim, yeah, no, no, I'm a real Christian. They walk around with so much guilt and shame and, and, uh, over their past. You know, some Christians are, you know, you talk to them like uh, asking about eternity. Well, I hope I'm going to get in. I, I think I've been good enough. You know, some Christians, they're still doing their best to keep the Ten Commandments. And I would ask, Christian, I don't think that word means what you think it means. And so we want to look at it tonight. What's the biblical worldview of the term Christian, of salvation, of the, of the gospel, the good news? What does it mean to be Christian from a biblical perspective? You know, we got the benefit of the eyewitness uh, writers of, of the New Testament scriptures. We have Luke, who was, a, he was an eyewitness and a, and a traveler uh, alongside Paul uh, as he went to travel throughout the Roman Empire. And, and Luke uh, was, a, was a historian, and he, he kept a, a journal of their travels. And it's, that's how he writes it. We know it as the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, go to the New Testament. It's closer to the back. You're going to find this, this, this portion of scripture called we call acts and Luke gives this little tidbit um in of info on one of um, uh, Paul's journeys you know he, he talks about how Paul whose name at that point was Saul uh, was in his hometown of Tarsus and then the believers in Jerusalem they send Barnabas who's from Jerusalem to go looking for Saul and you know it's like a picture that his, you know Barnabas finally gets to Tarsus finally finds Saul he's like Saul of Tarsus I presume But Luke actually tells us what it actually sounds like. And here's what it is. Acts 11 verse 25. It says that Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And it was at Antioch, he says that the believers were first called Christians. This is the first account where we get this word Christian in, in all of scripture. It was this place called Antioch where they were first called Christians. And, uh, to be honest, as we look back at history, this term, uh, Christian, this moniker, wasn't actually a compliment. It was, it was this thing like, oh, those are those, they're like those Christians, those Christ people, Christians. Um, and, um, you know, we, we know that the Christians themselves, they, they didn't actually call themselves that. Yeah, the Christians was kind of like a slur. Nero would actually burn down his city and blame it on the Christians, those problematic people. But the Christians would call themselves many other things. You know, they would refer to themselves as believers, as followers of Christ, um, as followers of the way, uh, as saints, uh, as disciples. They use all these different words. And, and so, you know, even, even though um, we're talking about this term Christian today, we're not talking so much about, you know, the terms or what they were called, but more about the description. It doesn't matter what the name was, but more so who they really were, who they were as Christians. Sometimes and often we refer to them as Jesus followers because the word Christian is kind of has, has so many different meanings. And that's why we said tonight, Christian, I don't think it means what you think it means. You know, Paul would later write to letters to all of these Christians, these Jesus followers, gathered in cities all over the Roman Empire. and you know, he, Here's how he starts his letters. Let me just, just listen for a minute at how he describes them. He's like, hey, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth. He says in Galatians, he's like, to the gatherings in Galatia. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful followers of Jesus. To God's holy people in Philippi, who belong to Jesus. To the saints in Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ Peter would also write to them. James would also write to them. But if you put all those things together, here's Paul's description of Christian. To God's holy people, you know, but maybe putting our own name in there. To the saints in Balmoral, the faithful brothers and sisters, the followers of Jesus Christ, loved by and belonging to him, gathered together as his church in haldeman. Maybe you can just put your own titles and, and places in there. But my question is, does that sound like you? Would you describe yourself in that way? To God's holy people, the saints, the faithful brother or sister, the follower of Jesus, the one who's loved by him and belongs to him, that are gathering together as his body in a certain location. Does that sound like you? Because if it doesn't, we got to ask that question. Well, then what is Christian? Because I don't think it means what we think it means. You know, the purpose of Paul's letter was to remind Christians of who they were, and how to live. And so we're going to look at a bunch of scriptures that just define what these people who were called Christians truly truly believed and uh, and lived out. Here, here, let's go to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Corinthians and, uh, and, and a couple other passages as well. But Corinthians is Paul's letter to this group of Jesus followers. And it's, in a, it's a big, important city. There's all kinds of craziness that goes on in that city. And he writes to them and he says this, in verse 17, they were arguing about, you know, who baptized them. And Paul's like, he starts out, he says, Christ didn't send me to baptize. That's, that's, not, that's not why I came to Corinth. He says, I came to preach the good news. The good news, of, he says, it's, and, and, and not with clever speech. He says, for, the, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. The message of the cross, he says to them, it's foolish to those who are um, headed for destruction. But we who are being saved, know it's the very power of God. So he says, "I oh, man, I've come to preach good news, and this good news is simple. It's so simple, in fact, that some people think it's just foolish, and yet others they just know they know that it's the power of God. You know, the message being simple, it wasn't to be you know with clever speech that he would wow them or or debate them into uh, this into faith. It wasn't that. It was something. It was something simpler. I remember having conversations with people about the gospel, the good news, and they would say." How, you know, how is it possible that some human sacrifice that happened, you know, 2,000 years ago in a place 10,000 kilometers away from here has anything to do with my life today? You know, somebody died, you know, on a cross. <laughs> how does that work for, for, for me today? It's just too, it, 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 it's, it's a simple statement that they just feel like that, that doesn't, I, I don't know, I can't, I... I can't uh, logically get my mind around that. But, you know, as we read about Jesus and uh, as he walked on the planet, Matthew, Mark, and Luke actually tell us of different accounts where Jesus would be, have a crowd of people around him. And he'd take a child and he'd put a child in front of them. And he he'd, you know, so often we're telling kids, hey, you know, be more like these adults. And Jesus is like, hey, no, adults, listen, be more like this child. Be more like this child, have a child, uh, a childlike faith, trust like a, a, a this child. Uh, and uh, he, he, as he mentions that, we would sometimes think, well, you know, faith that's childlike. There's a difference between childlike, this, this, this confident trust, and something being childish. Something being so simple that it's foolish. Something, the, the difference between childlike and childish, because even though it's childlike, it's powerful, it's powerful. And, you know, those who have experienced the change of the go- what the gospel does in their lives, they'll tell you. They'll tell you, man, like something happened in here. It wasn't something I believed. It wasn't like Sunday school stories. It was a child. Oh, okay, I know all the stories, Jonah and the whale, Noah and the ark. And, and I'm, I'm a Christian because I believe there's a God. No, something happens on the inside to a true Christian. You know, you know when you've experienced something. And let me ask this question. Have any of you ever been hit by a taser? Well, probably the wrong crowd. So maybe well, let's try this. Have you ever been hit by like a, a powerful wave? Have you ever been in the ocean experienced the power of the wave? I remember going to uh, Curacao and, and going surfing. This is actually me right here. Okay, it's not. My surfing experience looked more like this. Uh, and uh, I ended up, you know, getting falling into the water and being tumbled around, getting refreshed. My brothers, they, uh, they had warned me. They're like, listen, you do not want to fall off the board in these areas because you, you can't even uh, find your way to the surface. The water is just so powerful. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I knew it up here. But the moment I hit the water, oh my goodness, I experienced it. I, could, I, I knew what they meant by the power of that wave. And that's the thing. Like we, we can sit and hear, oh, I know about the power of the gospel, but have you experienced it? Oh, I know that you know, he changes your life, he forgives your sins, and, but have you experienced it? Oh, I know God loves me, Jesus loves me, this I know, and for the Bible tells me, but have you experienced it? See that, that's the difference in this term um, called Christian. And so as we look at this, Paul's saying, "The good news, it's powerful. What is this good news that Paul's saying is so powerful? Later on in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, he, uh, he explains it really well. He reminds those same believers of, the, of these words. So here's what he says, First Corinthians um, chapter 15, verse one. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you before. He's like, hey, you already heard this, he says, but, and you welcomed it when you first heard it, and you still stand firm in it. You received it, you're standing firm in it. And it's this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. Verse three, he says, I passed on to you what was most important would have been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. And then he was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And uh, he said he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. You You just even get a glimpse of Paul's worldview of the gospel. He's like, hey, this is what the scripture said. This is what the scripture said would happen. And this is what happened. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. Like we've said so often, he was dead, dead. This was not like he fainted. This was not like, you know, he collapsed. No, he, he was dead. Which makes the next line so, so incredible. He rose from the dead and he was seen by witnesses that said, hey, we, we saw him dead and we saw him alive and we will bank our lives on the fact that we saw this. And it is that event that's the basis of Christianity. Not like I believe all the stuff in the Bible, that, that's not where it starts. He's what do I do with this event that a man rose from the dead? Paul says, some, that good news that Christ died for our sins. He's like, that's the good news you received. But he gives this, he gives this description of what it looks like to be a Jesus follower, be a, to be a Christian. He's like, he's like, you received this good news. You believed it. You stand firm on it and you continue to stand firm in it. It's this, it's this one thought all the way along. It's like how you got into this family, how you became a Christian is how you stay a Christian. How you got into the family is how you stay in the family. And so, you know, when you think about Christians, we're like, oh, it's, it's my behavior. I don't do those things. I, do, I, I go here to these places on Sunday mornings and, and I don't do that kind of thing. I try not to swear. And it's all about behavior. They they're missing the point because then when their behavior does slip at some point they're like they're wondering you know am I oh I don't know like am I still a, a Christian I've had these I've had this bad behavior am I am I a Christian and again my question is Christian I don't think that word means what you think it means. Because if we would say, and I've used this example often, my children, you know, they, they might look like perfect little angels, but they're not. They, You know, they, they get out of line sometimes. And as a father, my response to my kids when they, you know, disobey or they're out of line, isn't like, hey, you know, Lincoln, Pff, you're out of the family, son. Until you get your act together, don't you dare be coming back around here. You know, you're not a vanderer anymore until you can act like one. We would never do that. And yet how many Christians live their lives wondering, am I in, am I out? Am I in, am I out? That's not a very powerful good news if you're always wondering, am I in, am I out? Am I in, am I out? You know, Jesus explained to Nicodemus in John 3. It's a famous, famous story. It's where we get John three sixteen from. He explains to Nicodemus that, he says, Nicodemus, you are born into this kingdom. You're born into this family. He said, just like you were born into the world, you know, he says, you need to be born again. From the inside, there's something, something spiritual has to happen in here. Something has to be born inside of you or it's not Christian. You know, I think about the miracle of birth, you know, my four children and the the, the miracles that they are. What an incredible, incredible thing. But it pales in comparison to the miracle of rebirth. When God takes a broken person, a heart of stone, a wayward person go in their own way and and changes something on the inside. Where they once were dead, they're alive to him. Where it was like, you know, I was God and, 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 and now I can hear the voice of God. Where I thought, you know, I was in despair, but now I know I'm loved by God. That I once, I once was lost, but now I'm found. That is an incredibly powerful thing. And that's what Paul's saying. He says the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. You know the cultural worldview, and we talked about this in week two. The cultural worldview, uh, when it comes to this thing of sin and humanity, is like they want to distance themselves so far from that word sin, as far away as possible. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a sinner. We we learned in week two that that the the cultural worldview is that humanity is inherently good. You know, we're good, and we do some bad things sometimes, and. And we learn that that is not the truth at all, that we're, that we're born into this sinful state and we're stuck there until, until we're redeemed by Christ. You know, Paul tells the, um, the Romans, that he, just, he makes this, this case when they think, oh, you know, some of us are, there's some good people out there. He says in Romans 3, verse 23, he says, for everyone has sinned. Everyone has missed the mark. Everyone is, has, you know, not uh, lived up to God's, uh, glorious standard. He says, We all fall short. He throws himself in that, in that boat as well. Everyone. Everyone included Paul. Everyone included every single person who read this letter uh, in Rome. Everyone includes me. Sinner. Oh, you know, I don't know about you, but I mean, <laughs> I've been tempted, you know, to compare myself to others especially, especially, you know, when you feel like you feel a little bad about yourself, you think, oh, well, I'll compare myself with others. At least I'm not as bad as so-and-so, and, you know, it's intending to compare ourselves with people we think are worse than us. You know, I, I remember talking to a guy had actually been to jail. He got out of jail and, and, uh, he had, he had done some time for his crimes. And, uh, but his thing was like, well, at least I'm not as bad as the rat who ratted me out and put me in jail. He just would feel better about himself. And, and, and we all do that, though. We, that, that's where we are because we might feel better about who we are and where we're at. But my question is, is are we better? Just because we feel better because we can compare and find somebody else, are we actually better? You know, we might put our sins on a, on a level. Like we think, you know, these are the bad sins and these ones not so much, you know, like little white lies, you know, taking stuff from work without asking, you know, whatever it is. And, but then like, there's the big ones, right? Like, you know, murder and adultery and whatever else we put, we put these ones way, way up there, but God doesn't. When God looks at this thing called sin, it's like, no, no, it's just like, it's a level playing field. It's one of the, it's one of the truths that changed my life way back in the day. When I realized that me, this little self-righteous kid who, you know, I never, I never drank any alcohol. I never tried smoking cigarettes. I never did any drugs. I, I never dated any girls. I always say it was, you know, by choice, but it probably wasn't. But whatever it was, I never like any of these things. I didn't do all the things that were, you know, people would say, oh, those, you know, those are the, the bad things. But then I realized, you know, there was a man in our co- in a community named Paul Bernardo who had uh, murdered some uh, teenage girls. And in my heart, I could look down and say, oh, I'm way better than that guy. At least look at me compared to him. And then I realized that if it wasn't for the, for the redemption and the redemptive power of Christ, I am no better off than him. I'm not in any better place than him. And it hit me to the core. It, it, it broke through the self-righteous walls in my heart. To reveal that, yes, Mark, indeed, you are a sinner. It's where I began to realize and admit that. And, you know, that's the first step. The first step is simply admitting that I'm a sinner. That's the first part of the gospel. And we're like, oh, well, that doesn't sound that good. But remember, Christ died for our sins. That price had to be paid. It's a a hefty price for something we want to just say, "Ah, it's not that big deal. You know, some, some think that being a sinner disqualifies them from God's presence and disqualifies them from, from uh, God loving them. Maybe you're sitting there and you feel like, oh, you know, I, I don't want to think about that because how could God love me? I remember um, years and years ago uh, in a church out in Sweet's Corners, this guy had come for a funeral. I remember Wes telling me about this, that guy came for a funeral and he was like terrified to go into the church. Because he thought, you know, God's going to judge me. And he, he took his hat and he threw his hat inside the building to see if it would catch on fire before he walked in. And we're like, he doesn't understand that it's the kindness of God, that it's the love of God that's drawing him. You know, the thing is, being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from the love of Christ or from salvation. It's actually a prerequisite. It's actually required that you understand that you are that you're more than just a, a person who makes mistakes. So, you know, part of humanity she's like, no, no, I'm accountable before God. You know, what does that accountability look like? Paul says in Romans 6, a couple chapters later, verse 23, he says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, when you hear that wages, wages is this thing that you earn. It's what you deserve. Uh, and uh, a lot of times we, you know, <laughs> We uh, we we want to earn something. We like we think maybe God, I can get into your good books by doing A, B, and C. You know, I'll, I'll pray a few prayers. Oh, I'll, I'll do a devotional. Oh, I'll, I'll give money to a good cause. I'm like, I'm I'm getting my way in. I'm earning it. And he's like, no 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 no. You don't understand anything. He says the wages of of being a sinner. He says it's death. There's there's no you know death is final. You don't get like partially dead. You're like dead 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 dead's the whole deal. And he says, that's the wages. It's something you earn. It's something you deserve. And I hear the statement lots of times. Well, I can't believe in a God that would be like unfair like that. This person tried their best and they still, they still, you know, come out on the losing end. How? They're the best person I know. And they're still a sinner. You know, we wrestle with that because we think, you know, I, I wish that God was more fair. Like, why did that person have to suffer? Why, why did my dad leave? You know, why did, why did that person have to die? We want God to be more fair. But, uh, you know, if we really think about it, like if we sit back and just slow down a little bit, we actually don't really want God to be fair. <laughs> to be fair, we don't want him to be fair. Think about this. Well, you know, if you've ever driven a car and been pulled over by a police officer, you know, what do you say? As soon as the police officer comes, hello, speeding, I wasn't driving uh, as fast as I thought, officer. It's like, you never tell the, the officer who pulls you over. You never tell him like, okay, officer, <laughs> I was speeding. Just be fair. Give me exactly what I deserve. No, like, I don't, we always try, like, I'll try anything to get out of it. Uh, why are we speeding? Well, oh, I had to go to the bathroom really bad. Uh, my wife's having a baby. You know, I was like, I'm late for work. I'm late for church, whatever it may be. Uh, and it's like, you know, it was. Uh, this is the only time I've ever done this. And unless you're Lily, I wouldn't believe that. But, but we have this, this thing of like, we want, we want mercy. We want mercy. I don't want fair. I want mercy. Well, the, the good news is actually this that, that we don't get what we deserve. That's the good news. When we talk about this idea of we're sinners, when we deserve the wages, what we earn is death. The good news is that we don't get what we deserve. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, he says, you actually get a gift. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believe. He's writing to the Jesus followers. Here's what it looks like. He saved you by his grace when you believe. You can't take credit for this. You did not earn this. This is a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the things that we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Being Christian is not... It's not a reward for your behavior. It's not even a product of your behavior. It's something that God has done inside of you. It's a gift that he's given you. You know, you don't earn a gift because then it's not a gift. You don't deserve a gift because then it's not a gift. You simply receive a gift. You receive. And I think if we think about those words like mercy and grace, what incredible words. Like mercy is simply not getting what I deserve. You know, I deserve the ticket and the officer lets me go. It's like, that's mercy. And we think, man, you know, I, I deserve death. And, and God's like, no, you know what? I, I got a different option for you. And, and you're not going to get what you deserve. are like, oh, thank goodness. But it gets better because he's not just about mercy. He's about grace. And he's like, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, which is incredible love, incredible forgiveness, all of these, these incredible things in our lives, things that we don't deserve. See, the truth is you can't receive grace and mercy unless you realize you need them. That's that whole idea of admitting that we're sinners. We realize, ah, I need grace and mercy and I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. But God, if you will, I'll receive it. And then you realize hey, it's not fair, but oh, is it powerful? Oh, is it powerful? You know, our, we, we, we started, you know, or just shared that thought that our culture wants to distance themselves from that word sinner so badly. And they need to embrace it. But the flip side of that I see is that there's so many Christians who embrace sinner as their moniker and they actually need to let it go. I was going to sing, you know, that Frozen song, but I won't. But now that it's in your brain, it's like, just let it go. Let it go. Why? Because there's so many Christians that carry their, their guilt, like they wear it like an old overcoat. They carry shame from their past. Like it's like this heavy chain, you know, they, the inside. And sometimes it even slips out that I'm, oh, I'm just a dirty, rotten, no good sinner. Oh, I'm disgusting or whatever. You know, these things. And I'm like, Christian, I, I don't think that word means what you think it means. You know, because the good news declares that Christ died for our sins. He actually, that when we've been born again, we are no longer sinners, not that we never sin. We're no longer in that category of sinner. We're not in the spot where we're enemies of God anymore. We're, we've been brought into his, into his family. We're called his child. He, he calls us his friend. That, yeah, there's no heavy baggage to wear anymore if you understand what Christian means. The New Testament writes about it all the time. There's lots of scriptures uh, on it. I just want to show you two. First Corinthians 6 verse 11 we looked at this last week. What does Paul say to them? He's like, some of you, like he lists this laundry list of, of, of sins and people who don't make it into, uh, into heaven one day. And he says this, verse 11, some of you were once like that. You were in these categories. He says, but, he said what? You were cleansed. It means past tense. You were made holy. You were made right with God, which means you are currently right with him Simply by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God is what God did in you. He's done something in you, Christian. (laughs) If it's it's genuine, if something powerful happened on the inside, he's done something on the inside. What's he done? Second Corinthians, he later writes them and says this, uh, chapter five or 17. He's like, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone who's a Christian, they've become a new person. You know, the old, the guilt, the shame, all that stuff. He's like, that old life is gone. A new life has begun. There's something about the sins. They're they're gone. Then we sing that song, gone, gone. Now my sin is dead and it's gone. That's good news. That is good news. You know, it's not about the outward behavior. It's about an inward change. If the inward change happened, man, it's gone. And the outward behavior will catch up, I promise you. You know, it's not about believing something. Oh, I believe there's a God or I believe all the right things. It's, it's about trusting in Jesus that what he said he can do, he can do in you. And, and the question, you know, I guess is this. If your Christianity is still about do's and don'ts and trying to keep all the rules and you're chalking up when you know, you're doing good with God and sometimes you're not doing so good with God, then, then I have to simply say this, Christian... <laughs> I don't think that word means what you think it means. You know, back in the 1100s, there was a saying that said this, all roads lead to Rome. It didn't matter what road you took, you were eventually going to get there. And our culture wants to say the same thing. You know, yeah, okay, that's fine. You want to preach about this Jesus guy and this and and your religion or whatever. But there's lots of religions and, you know, all religions, you know, lead to God. So like (laughs) the cultural worldview is like, you don't need this. You don't need this thing from Jesus. You just need to have some religion of some sort. And it's all good. You know, there's lots of ways to heaven. All religions are basically the same. You know, Jesus, he was a, a good moral teacher, but can I simply say this? A cultural worldview may accept that, but a biblical worldview cannot. Why? Because Jesus himself could not accept that idea that all religions lead to God and, and everybody's getting in. It doesn't really matter. How do we know? Because right before he was about to be crucified, betrayed, he sat down with his disciples at a table and he, he was chatting with them. And he says these words, John was there. John, uh, he's an eyewitness, and ear witness of it. And he writes it down in John 14. Verse 1 to 6, just, just heard that Jesus, is, he's predicted his death and it's going to be soon. And, he, and they're, of course, looking like, what? And here's Jesus' words to him. He's like, hey, don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. He's like, you trust in God? Trust me. Trust me. There's that, there's that invitation to say, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to put my trust in you, Jesus. He says, trust me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Verse 3, when everything's ready, I'm going to come and get you. So you will be with me always where I am. Verse 4, you know, you know the way to where I'm going. And they're like, no, we don't. Thomas like, wait, hold on, you're going too fast. We don't know the way, Lord. Jesus. You're leaving and we, we don't, you, you, you know, you said you're going to come back for us. We don't, we don't know the way. We don't know the way. We have no idea where you're going. How do we know the way? And, and here's this, this powerful statement Jesus says. Jesus tells Thomas and all those listening in and all the readers, he's like, Thomas, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. There's no, no other way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, <laughs> Jesus, what about, you know, what about those other people who believe? those? No, they, sorry. There's only one way. There is only one sacrifice that was made for mankind. There, and, and he hadn't done it yet, but he was telling them, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to lay my life down for you. I'm going to save humanity. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All religions don't lead to the Father. Even Christianity that is based on just, you know, behavior and actions and keeping the Ten Commandments, it doesn't lead to the Father. It is this one this one way. And it's not through religion. It's through that person of Jesus. You know, having a religion or a belief in God isn't even enough according to God himself. I love what C.S. Lewis said, because people sometimes think, well, Jesus was a good moral teacher. You know, he's a good guy to follow. He's a good example. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, I, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ." oh, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. He says, that's the one thing we must not say. Because a man who was merely a man, a good moral teacher, who said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell himself. You must make your choice. Either this man Jesus was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Now, some powerful words. So the question, you know, I think we have to ask ourselves is, is, who is Jesus to you? is if he's a great moral teacher, then he's either a liar or a lunatic. But for those who've become Christian, he's Lord. He has my life. He deserves my life. He has my allegiance. He has my obedience. He has my heart. He has me. Why? Because it's what he's done for me. And as we close today, I encourage you just to grab those emblems of communion. And we may not have a lot of time to slowly go through this. And so maybe you just want to pause and, and take some time on your own to just think through these thoughts. But Jesus would sit around a table later on with his disciples. You know, as, and we said that we're in John 14. This is where this happened. And he explained that he was always the way, that he was always going to be God's way uh, and God's plan for saving mankind. You know, we've talked about that before. When you want God out of the picture, well, you'll come up with your own way of salvation, your own way of morality, your own way to get, get good with God. That's what religion is. But when you bring God back into the equation, he simply says, there's one way. This is my way. This is the way I've designed it. There's no other way. The gate is narrow. The, you know, the path that leads to destruction is wide. You can pick any 15,000 different ways and you're going to end up there, but there's just one. It's just one way that leads. You know, as we read through the... Um, Old Testament, if you're reading through the Bible with us, you've seen like there's pictures of what there's pictures of this, this truth that Jesus would be the one way. He would be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We saw it in Abraham, uh, in Genesis where Abraham is uh, with his son Isaac and it says that God prepared or sent a lamb uh, so that, so that Abraham, you know, could sacrifice that lamb and Isaac's life was spared as a result. You know, we see in Exodus and we read about Exodus and we see how the uh, the uh, Israelites leaving Egypt had to kill a lamb and put the blood on their doorposts. And it says when the angel of death came, he saw those, the blood and he's like, oh no, he passed over those homes and their lives were spared. In Leviticus, we see that every year lambs had to be, perfect spotless lambs had to be killed in place of, in place of um, uh, the people's sins. The lamb would die for their sins so they didn't have to. And then we see as we get to the New Testament where John on the banks of the Jordan River, as he's baptizing people, waiting for the Messiah to come, all of a sudden he sees Jesus. He's like, whoa, hold on, fellas, look. (laughs) There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's the Lamb that God prepared to take away the sin of the whole world. (laughs) Look, there's forgiveness of sin right there in in a human body. You know, that's the the power of that. And as they sat around, you know, at that table, celebrating the Passover dinner, they're celebrating this lamb who, you know, had paid for their sins and that, that, that the angel of death had passed over them. What do we see? We see uh, Jesus change the narrative of the story. Matthew chapter 26, last verse tonight. Matthew 26, he says this, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for it's my, it's my body. Like, wait a second. This, isn't this like the bread of the, of the Passover? Drink? No. He said, that was a picture. This is my body, which is going to be broken for you. And so he said, take it and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. And then he had said, after he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, each of you drink from this. This is my blood. And they're like, doesn't it represent the blood of the lamb? That, no, he's like, no, no, no. That was a picture. It points to me. He says, this is my blood, which is going to be shed for you. He says, it confirms the new covenant between God and his people and it's poured out as a sacrifice to what? Forgive the sins of many. Christian, you are forgiven. If it's something's happened on the inside, you are forgiven because of what Christ has done Man, it seems so foolish that this, this bread and this cup of what Christ did on the cross could do something in my life, but oh my goodness, it is powerful, powerful to change our lives. And what did Jesus say to his disciples? Do this in remembrance of me. We've often said it, that those disciples, after the next couple of days, they would watch their, their friend and their master hang on a cross, die and bleed out in front of their very eyes. They, they, they didn't need a piece of bread to remember, you know, his broken body. They saw it and they would never forget that. They didn't need a little, you know, cup of wine or grape juice, whatever it was to, to um, remember the drops of blood that poured down that cross that day. They they'd never get those images out of their mind, but what was it? Jesus' command: go and make other disciples. Remind them, teach them of all the things I've taught you, including this. That one day, wherever we would find ourselves, me right here in this building tonight, you wherever you are, that He would say, "This is my body." broken for you. Put your name in there. This is his body broken for Mark. This is what he did to make me Christian, to forgive my sins, to pay my penalty. And he says, do this, (laughs) do this to remember me, do this to remember that it was, it was done for you. So let's do that together. Jesus, thank you for your body broken for us. (sighs) Thank you for taking our place, the Lamb of God. Thank you. Lord, thank you for your love. You saw us before we even know we needed you, and you came. Thank you for enduring that pain. You could have left at any second, but thank you, thank you, thank you. And it says after dinner, he took a cup. He says with that cup, he passed it around and said, you know, drink from it. This is the symbol of the new covenant. The new covenant so much better. You know, lambs no more have had to die. One lamb died for the sins of the whole world. My sin, your sin, it's incredible. It's incredible because because of this, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Let's take that together. So Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. You know my laundry list. Thank you for washing that all away. God, I couldn't do it, and you knew it. Thank you for your cleansing power, your life-changing power, the goodness of your good news, your kindness that's led us to repentance. Thank you, thank you, thank you. May you be honored and glorified by this night and by everything we've said. May you be praised as you deserve for the sacrifice you made for us. Love you. Thank you for loving me first. You know, as I think about these words, the power of the good news, there's forgiveness and new life in him because of him. And maybe you're here and listen to all this. I'd encourage if you haven't put your faith in Christ, maybe you've pretended to be Christian. If you would believe the truth of the good news that he died for your sin, that he rose from the dead and that he was seen, you'll experience what Christian is, if you'll put your trust in him. You know, I thought about it. It's why the old hymn writers wrote songs like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You know, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In Christ alone, my hope is found He is my light, my strength, my song. And when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count, but loss and poor contempt On all my pride. You know, others would sing about how they cling to the old rugged cross. (laughs) They would exchange that someday for a crown. And maybe one of the most profound of all. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. The saved A wretch like me. Because I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I pray those truths echo, echo in your mind and in your heart. That you might simply understand what it truly means to be Christian. That you would live that out to the fullest, knowing that you're loved, you don't have to earn it. Knowing that you're forgiven, you don't have to earn it. That you can simply share that hope with the world because they won't hear unless we do. Can we pray? Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this time. to, Just to be in your word. (laughs) Thank you for the good news. It's why we're here. It's what you've done. It's what you've done. Lord, I just pray for anybody tonight that's listening that doesn't know you god i pray that your good news would do just what it says it is the power of god to salvation to anyone who believes father i believe that tonight and thank you for the hope that we have in you as a result oh looking so forward to the life that is after this life life that never ends jesus you're amazing thank you thank you thank you i pray this in your name amen so before you go, we've got a couple quick questions uh, for you, like we always do, just to hopefully have a chance to chat with a few others. Maybe you're in a home church today uh, or, um, you know, watching with some other friends or maybe you're going to call somebody up. But here's the questions. What jumped out at you today? some somebody like, man, I got, I got to think about that a little bit more? And then second, how would you define the word Christian? How would you define it? Third, would you call yourself a Christian? Why or why not? And I mean, would you call yourself a Christian based on the biblical world? Because that's the final question. Do you have a biblical worldview of Christianity and salvation? Or is it a mix of some, some cultural, biblical, whatever uh, mishmash that it may be? I encourage you to dig in. And like, uh, as always, if you come to a different conclusion, you know, feel free. Email me. Let me know. Let's be encouraging one to another. And then before you uh, check out, uh, I'd I'd also encourage you, you know, go fill out that survey. That would help us a ton. We really only have about one week to to do that. So please do that right away. And uh, until next week, we'll uh, see you later. Have a great, great week.